Uh, very funny. I, I admit I like juvenile humor, but I do not like that there are many 40-year-olds who are still boys. I know 16-year-olds who are men, and I know 40-year-olds who are boys. I know 50-year-olds who are boys. Uh, we are going to devote an entire series of topics. This has been burning uh, very deeply in me for a while, very, very deeply. And I, I need to do a couple caveats, first of all. First of all, I could caveat everything to death today, and you could find issue with just about everything I say. I'm going to speak in broad generalities today, and I want ladies to you to understand, I wish I could get every guy alone and in an event, but I know that's very hard to do, so I'm going to be speaking with guys. You're welcome to be here. Glad you're here. But I'm going to ask you to give me an umbrella of mercy, an umbrella of grace, because I'm going to say things that will be bothersome to you, perhaps might seem exclusive, but it's the way I would say it if I just had guys in the room. Uh, I've, I've seen 50-year-olds who are still not understanding why they're here on this planet, who still have not advanced by certain things. And I'm fired up about this, not just in the entire uh, nation, but I'm talking about here in Crossroads. And I'm, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. And this is uh, core to what I'm hoping happens in the lives in here. So let me pray for it before I go any further. God, I'm thankful for every person here, every man, uh, every woman I'm thankful for in here. I'm asking that you would help us go to new places. You help me be clear. And most importantly, you would help me to be helpful. Grow us today, and I pray that you would use my words to that end. And I pray these things in your character, the character that is seen in the great man, the God who actually took on manly flesh, his name Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, um, Crossroads is a, a very unusual place, if you haven't noticed by now. Very unusual. Uh, one of the ways that we are incredibly unusual is that we have a very high percentage of men. It is very rare in a church to have as many men who are involved here in Crossroads as we are. We are amazingly blessed when men build into kids and kids club or do whiz kids or do whatever. It is very, 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 very unusual. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a plague that's been sweeping across the American church, actually around the world in many ways, where men just are not attracted to churches. They're not attracted to the way things are done in church. There was a fascinating book on this a number of uh, years ago. Uh, it's called this. Why Men Hate Going to Church. And it catalogs how either intentionally or accidentally the very systems that we do to, to, to make churches happen are, are against the, the masculine mindset that wants adventure, they want a point, they want a purpose. They don't want to just go to a meeting just because that's what nice people do is go to a meeting. And one of the quotes in this book is this. Churches in the Titanic have something in common. It's women and children first. The Titanic has gone down. The church is going down. There's virtually no positive statistic about American churches. And we, years and years ago, said, you know, if we can communicate to guys, then everybody wins on that. And so we think guys as we, as we communicate. One of the problems with churches is that there's no sense of adventure. And so men are always trying to find adventure through traditional quote-unquote manly ways, which are not manly at all. Come on, does anyone think Sylvester Sloan, that movie, was manly at all? Taking steroids, pumping yourself up is not manly at all. We're not talking about characters of manliness, though we'll have some fun with those. But nonetheless, some of those characters do communicate some truth. And one of those things is men want an adventure. We want to know why it is we're 
doing something we're doing. In that old book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, it said that women like to go to tea, meaning that women like to enjoy the relational interaction very much so, where men don't want to just go someplace and sit and say, here's what I'm supposed to do. This is what a good person does. Men want to hunt, kill, celebrate. They want to know, what is, the, what is the point? I'm not a hunter, but I like knowing what it is I'm doing, doing it, and then celebrating afterwards. Here at uh, Crossroads, we can enjoy numerous adventures. I, I, I find great adventure, more adventure than when I ride my bike, than when I'm involved in decisions, when we say we're going to give uh, $120,000 to Haiti that has been unbudgeted. We don't know where it's coming from. We're not going to pre-raise it. We just feel it's right to do. And we're going to, in an adventuresome way, see how God shows up as we put ourselves on the ledge. I love the fact that we every uh, spring do what is every year the largest service day in the history of Cincinnati. Go Cincinnati. And we just keep getting it bigger. And last year, one of the things that was happening is a group of people packed a container that went over to Haiti to help them uh, just with their, their ministry, what they were doing. Do you realize that container was caught up in customs for months and months and months and months, the morning of the earthquake, that container that we funded and packed showed up with medical supplies, food, and meals for 70,000. 70,000 meals the morning, the morning of the earthquake. That is adventuresome. That is awesome. It's one of the reasons why uh, men get communicated to around here. Martin Luther, uh, who really wanted to um, reform and help some abuses in the medieval Catholic Church, actually ended up getting booted out. It was, a, it, was a not, it, was, it was a difficult thing. And it was actually the beginning of Protestantism. The, the, the head of the Protestant movement actually said this about himself as a Catholic monk. Here's what he says. I am rough, boisterous, stormy, and altogether warlike. I am born to fight against innumerable monsters and devils. I must remove stumps and stones, cut away thistles and thorns, and clear the wild forests. Let me tell you something. If I said that in my ordination exams, they would have flunked me. They would have said, dude, you got issues. You are not cut out for ministry. Church work is for nice people, not, not you. And he's not, this doesn't mean that men have to do physical labor like this, but it means that we crave and want adventure. We crave and want our father, a male figure, to build into us and tell you, I'm well pleased with you. One thing I know about every single man in here, there's no exception to this, every single man in here wants to be affirmed and be blessed by his father or a father figure. Many of us are still doing certain things right now to earn our dad's approval and we've never received an official look in the eyes saying, son, I approve of you. You are a man. I bless you. I'm proud of you. Every man needs this, including Jesus. And Jesus got this. Look when he got this. The book of Matthew chapter 3. He's getting baptized and here's what happens. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love and am well pleased. Every man wants to hear that from his dad. I love you and I am pleased with you. And when you understand that when we don't get that, we start acting out in various ways to prove our manhood. Our culture starts to make sense and come together. Jesus receives this word. I don't think this was a loud broadcast. Everybody heard it and looked up. Ooh, what's speaking? Jesus heard this very clearly somehow where he was affirmed in his masculinity and he was told, I approve of you. When I started learning this was, oh gosh, probably 20-some years ago. And, and, and I learned that one of the problems with men, males, boys in our society, in our culture, is that there's no rite of initiation. There's no passageway from when you go from being a boy to being a man. 
And so therefore, we're constantly acting out, so the theory goes, acting out our manhood, trying to prove our manhood. No question, one of the reasons I drank as much as I did in high school is I wanted to brag how many beers I did the night before because I was trying to express that I'm a man. That's why I would smash mailboxes, do vandalism. I was trying to kind of assert myself. For some men, it's how many women they can get in bed, or it's how much money they can earn, or it's how many kind of outdoorsy activities they're doing. They're trying to prove to themselves, even if they don't realize it, or others, that yes, I am a man. And this is one of the reasons people believe that we have so many males that are just sort of out of control and not settled, where in every ancient culture, and still many cultures today, there was, a, there was an initiation process where you knew, okay, I'm no longer a boy, I'm a man. And every culture looked different. You know, the Jews have the bar mitzvah, which is that's what that's supposed to be. For some cultures, it was you go and kill a deer and you drink the blood and you are a man. Or you climb that mountain and you get a feather off the top of the mountain, come down and you were, um, you were declared a man. Or you run a gauntlet. And at the end of that gauntlet, you're a man. Or there's a fire, a tribal council, and you're welcomed into the tribe. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what it is, but all of us need this sense of, okay, when is it? Am I a man? So when I learned this, and, uh, and then when I had a son, I thought, okay, I need to start setting up this rite of initiation right now to help him and to bless him. And so I thought, well, what would it be? And I said, here's what it'll be. So I started telling him, here's what we're going to do. Jake, when you're 16, when you're a man, um, we're going to drive down south buy a pickup truck, and then come back home. That was the rite of passageway. Um, and here was my thinking for that. My thinking was, well, I want to have captured time in the car on the way down to talk. And then I don't, I'm probably not going to have a lot of money, so we have to buy a very old pickup truck. And down south, they don't have salt, so they won't be as rusty. So we'll get one down south and then come all the way back up. So I would create this as a moment in him so when he knew when this happened, he didn't have to try to act out an immature boyish ways any longer. And uh, then when he turned 16, he said, hey, Dad, when, uh, when are we going to uh, go get my truck? I was like, excuse me? <laughs> excuse me? And he said, do we talk about 16? I was going to get a truck. And I was like, I, I actually hadn't talked to him about, about it for a couple years. And I thought, dude, are you not aware? I just bought a truck for the family like less than a year ago. We don't need another pickup truck. And he was justifiably crushed. And I had to go back and revisit this concept. I interacted with a bunch of older guys who I look up to as father figures. said, what do you think about this? I'm really not excited about this financially in the midst of the recession right now and all that stuff. And they said, hey, this is an important rite of passageway. I think it's, you need to do this. I said, yeah, you're right. I have built this up. This is healthy. I'm going to do this. So I went to Jake and said, okay, here's the deal. We're going to do this. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're definitely going to do this or something like this. But here's what you missed. You missed it. Um, it's not when you turn 16. It's when I feel you're, like you're a man. Not when you're 16, when you're a man. And so the problem, what I didn't do, is I have not been working with him on a process of what are the marks between a boy and a man. So for the last uh, six months or so, we've been having conversations about these, and there's five of them. Five marks of being a man. When I hear some preachers talk about this, they say, well, you know, once you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you can be a man. No, you can't. I'm sorry, it has nothing to do with it. I know many men who receive Jesus, have been baptized, believe the Ten Commandments, and are going to heaven, and are boys. Boys to the core. No many men. I know many people who are atheists, who don't believe anything in the Bible, who are men. The journey to manhood is a separate journey uh, to Jesus, which is a very, very critical one. There's five. Here's where they are. Number one. Number one. A man, a man supports himself. A man likes to work. A man likes to work. These are five 
every, all five of these, I will die on all five of these hills. It is, there's not a single man I know that doesn't have all five of these things. And there's plenty of 50-year-olds who don't have some of these things and are boys. And I've met 16-year-olds and younger who have these marks and are a man. It's just that we think he can't be a man because he's 18. That's crazy. It's ridiculous. Supports himself. One of the things that boys don't like to do is boys don't like to work. You know, you have to make a boy work. You have to always dangle a carrot in front of him, say, if you do this, then you can have that. You have to discipline him to work. Boys don't want to work. Men work. They like to work. The first man that was created, Adam, Adam was created along with Eve and they were put in the garden. And guess what they did before anything bad happened in the world? They worked. He was to work. Boys don't like to work. Boys don't want to work. Boys are working for the weekend. Yeah, that's right. Lover boy. Lover boy did the song. Everybody's working for the weekend. Boys, they don't want to work. They see no point, no higher ideal in it. But men support themselves, aren't dependent on others, though they'll willingly receive from others when they're in need. They work. This is one of the bummers about our society is the way that Many of us as boys learned how to be a man through working. Those opportunities aren't there as much any longer. How many of us who are around my age or older had a paper route? Yeah, yeah. We all know what that did for us. We all know that that instilled something in us. That was part of the maturation process. We all have stories about delivering Sunday papers and having to have two sacks around our shoulders and cutting into our, into our shoulders and riding a bike in snow uphill both ways. When we all have stories about all of those things because we know it matured us. Unfortunately today those jobs are all gone and on Sunday morning there's somebody flying 80 miles an hour down my street throwing newspapers out of, the, out of the door and turning around going, the economy has changed. It's a bummer that you can't even get a job at McDonald's right now in, a great, in the Great Recession. I don't know what this means for the maturation of process of our boys. I just have to say it though. A boy doesn't want to work. A man supports himself. He works. Now Jesus, when he hears from God, you're my son in whom I am well pleased, what he does is he immediately gets to work. He immediately starts doing things that are very difficult. And his work comes initially in the form of a spiritual boot camp, a process of being led to the wilderness. Actually, here's what it says. It says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Really? Interesting. Now the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He is out working, doing difficult things. Men like to work. They also like to, like to vacate. They like to recreate. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, what is recreation? Recreation is when you recreate yourself. You recreate your abilities, your enzymes. Why? To get back to work. That's why. And so Jesus is in this process where he's wrestling with the evil one who's trying to make him doubt that he is God's son, trying to make him doubt that God has approved, uh, approved of him. He says, if, if you are the son of God, then do this. What is he doing? He's coming against the vision Jesus has for his life. Men have, a man has a vision for his life. A man has a vision for his life. Man has a vision for his life. He, he looks out, I'm not 
It doesn't even work. So whoever's there, I'm not trying to crack on you. I'm, I'm looking out, but I'm looking out. A man, a man doesn't just look at what's right here. What do I have to do today? There's an ordering process where he says, that is where I'm going. Boys have no vision for their life. Boys have no idea why they have to go to school. They only know they're told to go to school. And if they don't go to school, they're going to have trouble. Boys don't understand disciplines. Boys don't understand that I have to do today what I don't want to do so that tomorrow I can do what I'm not able to do. A man understands that. A man understands there's a vision, there's a focus. I'm doing this process because that is where I'm going. We found out in our country that we have a lot of 55-year-old boys. Why? How do we find that out? Because the Great Recession happened and many of us in here are so bemoaning that now we can't retire. We can't, our vision, your vision for your life was not to work. That's no vision. Come on. Your vision is to not work. That's not, I'm working so I never have to work again. Oh, wow. What a depressing life. You're working. Your vision is so you don't work. There must be something compelling that gets you up in the morning and makes you say, this is why I'm doing what I need to do. Now, the problem with using the word like vision is it sounds like something huge, something that 60 Minutes will report on, something that will be in the history book, something that a building will be named after me because of or something. That, that's not the case at all. I loved what uh, Todd Henry said a couple weeks ago. Didn't Todd do a fantastic job? Wasn't that great? Man, just great. I love what Todd said. He said, if I die an unknown an accomplished man, but my boys, my kids rather, know that they are loved and I will go to my grave a great man. He heard that from God. He sensed God has said, that is a vision. That is a vision. A vision doesn't have to be this huge thing that's going to land you in a magazine of top 100 of whatever, whatever. But men have this vision of knowing that's where I'm going. And by the way, even if you're 16 and you see a vision, you say, that's where I'm going. You might find as you're going towards that, all of a sudden you realize, oh no, there was something beyond that, that it changes. It doesn't mean what you believe about your life right now will absolutely be the way you're going to be going in five years. But right now you have a force that's governing you, helping you make sense of why you're doing things financially, why you're doing things recreationally. Now I know I'm getting very intense right now. So you take a breather. I think we need, I think we need a man moment right now. That's what I think. All the days from this day to that, for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! <laughs> that is like the greatest movie. I love that movie. I love that movie not because of the violence in it, but I love that movie. If you watch it closely, and the reason you'll find many men love that movie is because these principles, I believe, are ingrained into us, and these principles all come out in that movie, really. We're drawn to that. And what we're drawn to that right now, by the way, first of all, he says in the whole theme of that movie is freedom. It's interesting. Hollywood even, even understands this is the cry of our heart freedom. We want to be free. We don't even know what it is and we're not enjoying it, but I can't wait for this journey. Boy, are you going to get free and it is going to be great. Better than having blue paint on your face and a kilt with a cool wind coming by. It is going to be <laughs> utterly phenomenal. Gosh, you 10 o'clock people, you do something to me. I, I never said that any, any other time. Um, 
but the cry of freedom. But look, what we're attracted to there is William of Wallace, Mel Gibson's character. He has some place that he's going. He has something he's giving his life to and laying his life down for. Do you know what you're giving your life to and laying your life down for? If not, there's boyish tendencies in you because no boy has a vision for his life. But a man does. He knows where he's going. Now, as Jesus comes out of this temptation, a number of things happen in the 40 days I'm not going to get into right now. It's interesting as he comes out of this, he declares his vision. He declares himself. And here's what he says. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He starts gathering people around him. He starts declaring, hey, I'm telling you, change. That's what repent means, change. I'm telling you, heavenly principles, a heavenly reality is just about on us. We're to usher this in and make this happen. This is a vision for my life, and I'm calling you to that. Jesus, Jesus doesn't just rest in the fact that he has got someone whom he's well pleased. He actually goes after something, and he gathers people around that. He gathers a team. He was born in a team. He's born in a family. Every family should be a team. He's in a massive team called the Nation of Israel. And as soon as he comes out and declares his vision, he starts gathering a team around him. He gathers 12 people in his inner circle. One of them was a dud, but nonetheless, he gathered 12 around them. And this gives us a good clue as to, as to what a man is. A man is a team player. A man's a team player. I love football. Part of the reason why I like football is it's a team sport. I like watching tennis. Roger Federer is so graceful and amazing. I, you know, I, the, watching the Masters is fine. But those for me aren't the same as the ultimate sport, which relies on team. Football. Everyone knows in the football field, no matter who you are, you're only going to go as far as the people are around you. Peyton Manning, whether he wins the Super Bowl or not, he will be the first to say it's the team around him. That's what it is. Men are team players. A boy is not a team player. A boy takes his ball and goes home when something doesn't go the way he wants it. A boy, when it's on the playground, wants to always be the quarterback, doesn't want to be the lineman, always wants the glory spots. A boy is incessantly climbing, doing more ladder, doing higher things, not caring about who he leaves behind, no matter how much money he's making. It's boyish behavior because it's all about him and he's not tied into anything bigger than himself. A boy has secret things of his life, even though he's been married for 30 years, that he doesn't let his wife know because he's not in a team with her. He's on his own. A man is a team player. Now here's one of those verses if, uh, if I was realizing that there were women in the room, I would caveat a lot or explain a lot more. I'm not going to do that because remember, I'm talking with the guys. Here's, here it is right here. First Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You know what this says? This says that uh, if you're a man and you're married, one of the reasons your prayer life might be frustrating and why things might not be happening is you're tapping off the spiritual power because you're not coming alongside and underneath your wife. You're not being a great team player. When you're not a great team player in marriage, your prayer life and the power of your life suffers. There are things in my life, in Libby's life, where she is stronger than me and I need her and I lean into her. There are no questions, areas that she is stronger. And there's also no question there are areas where she's the weaker vessel to me. One obvious one for me and for most Men is physically, physically. 
I need to understand that my strength, whatever strength and power I have, is not to be used the way a boy would use it to exalt himself, but to actually come alongside and underneath. A man operates best when his strength comes alongside and underneath when he operates in a team environment. Are you in a team? And I'm not talking just about a marriage, though that would be one one. You know, I know many, many guys who are married and, you know, they're still operating their finances on their own. They got their own accounts. They don't want to talk with their wife about what's going on financially. They got their own secret stuff. They don't consult with their wife. It's, a, it's boyish behavior. It's like you're going together in seventh grade. Come on, are you a team or are you are not? Or, or are you not a team? And I know guys who are, who, who, who are 30 years old, not married, and still the team thing. Are there people around your life that you're able to get with, hold you accountable to, that you're cheering on their success, you're pushing people forward? A man is a team player. A boy is an army of one. Now, the other thing that happens with, uh, uh, another thing that happens with, with men is this team aspect uh, manifests itself uh, in some ways that were kind of popularized by Braveheart. A man... A man is a protector. A man's a protector. Now these are obviously, some of these are over-the-top figurative props that I'm using. Please, I, I don't think as a man you're ever to stab somebody. You know, don't, you know, it's not a good idea. But it's a symbol, it's a symbol of being a protector. A man is a protector. A boy is a predator. A boy preys on women and their sexual stuff to bag them. A boy looks down and tries to amass women and, 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 and put them as a trophy on a wall. A, a boy is always looking for how somebody else can help them, male or female. That's what a predator does, but a man is a protector. A man uses his strength to come alongside and protect and do what those who are weaker than him in whatever environment it is can't do for themselves. I find it, find it really, really interesting that... Um, you know, we had, a, we had a death that awaited last year. Uh, um, I heard from numerous guys, numerous guys who were there that night who said, I was there and I could have caught her. I can't believe it. I, I could have done it. I could have, I, I can't, what, what was I thinking? I, I feel so bad. I never talked with a single woman who ever said that. And it has nothing to do with women not being brave. Women are very brave. Women are very protectors in unique ways. Absolutely they are. But there was something that happened in the male psyche. The males took it personally that were there that night. It was a personal. Why is it? It's because God has wired you this way. He's wired you to, to be a protector. Sometimes this is physical protector. Sometimes this is emotional protector. Sometimes this is spiritual. It's, it manifests itself a number of different ways. I know I just said something pretty heavy there. So I think I need a man moment right now. Huh? Yes, I need one of those. Let's have one of those. You're hit. You're bleeding, man. I ain't got time to bleed. Oh. Okay. I don't have time to bleed. Are you kidding me? I don't. Where do we get these images from? They're funny, but come on. Oh, my goodness. So, um, but a man does actually bleed for those who are weaker. He does put himself out on the line. One of the greatest men in the Bible is a man named Job. 
And uh, there's debates whether or not the book of Job is literal or whether it's fictional. But nonetheless, whatever it is, it's communicating a very powerful point. And it shows God and Satan talking with one another, which is weird in and of itself. And God basically looks down at Job. This man said, look at that dude. Now that is a man right there. That's a guy who's after my own heart. That is an awesome guy. And Satan says, well, of course he follows you. Who wouldn't if everything was going great in their life? He's got a great family. He's got great health. He's got land holdings. He's got He's got all kinds of you know, good stuff. He says, but let me open up a can of whoop-ass on him and we'll see whether or not he follows on you because we'll, we'll see how that works. And, and God says, all right, okay, you can do that. You can do anything you want except you just can't kill the guy. So he got, Job loses his family. He loses his health. He loses his wealth. He loses everything. Absolutely everything is devastated. And by the way, it's another one. If there were to be six, I would make this one, but... I'm keeping it at five. One of the things that a boy never does is a boy never takes responsibility. A boy always assumes his problems are because the cosmos are aligning against him or somebody else didn't do what he was doing. That's what boys always do. They ne it's never their fault. They, they don't stand up on that. But a man, he takes time to say, what have I done to bring this on myself? What can I learn? How have I done wrong? And so Job does this. He's going, I don't understand this. What, what, I don't understand how all this is happening. And, he, and, and he's processing through, trying to figure out what he might have done to bring this on himself. Look what he says. How long for the months gone by for the days when God used to watch over me because he doesn't feel like he's watching over him right now. Whoever heard me spoke well of me and those who saw me commended me because I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist them. Those who were dying, bless me. I made the widow's heart sing. No one looks at a boy and says, I am weak and I, and I, and I, and I would be better if it weren't for that person's life. Boys don't care about other people like that. It just, it's about, all about them. A man can look at his finances and see how he is tangibly sacrificing to help the least of these. He can look at his schedule. He can look at his life. And he can know there, there are people that are weaker, that are now better and beyond me maybe because I as a man was a protector of their circumstances. One of my worst moments as a man came about eight, nine years ago when uh, we had just moved from temporary rented facilities over in, Ear, uh, over in Hyde Park on Erie Avenue, bought this building, the original building over there, the old HQ, and uh, it was an emotionally gratifying, spiritually charged time for me. And in that time, I really let down my guard, and I was not a team player with Libby. I was not a protector of her. I was doing whatever felt good to me as a boy. And what was feeling good was doing ministry. I was feeling good. It was an incredibly good feeling. It's emotionally gratifying when you say, oh, we're going to have a building. We're going to actually have arrived. That was fun. It was fun sitting with architects in a team environment wondering how we're going to divide up a building. That was fun. It was actually fun in a strange way to actually give challenges and raise money and see God come through and move people to generosity and amazing things happen. Then once the building got built, it was fun to sit with volunteers and think through what are our parking systems, which by the way, I saw the Parking guys out there this morning, parking in the cold weather, come on. That's, that, that's manly. That, that is manly. I wish I would have said that earlier in this, or on 8.30. That, that, is, that is manly. So anyway, it was just encouraging and, and emotionally gratifying to be doing all of these things. And I really let down my wife. I was not around her and I made her more susceptible to the advances of others. And so there was this guy at this place where she was working out who was inappropriately 
trying to get involved with her. And, uh, you know, she was at a time of weakness. Unfortunately, nothing physically happened, but there was definitely on his part inappropriate things that were taking place. And uh, I said, <laughs> so I had actually had a, had a friend of mine said, how are you, why aren't you doing something about this? And I went, gosh, you're exactly right. So my day off, I went into this gym. I knew he was going to be there, and I went up to him and said, I need to see you right now outside that door. <laughs> He's like, all surprised. I said, I'm going to be right outside that door waiting, so I need to talk with you. I'll see you right outside that door. So I walked out the side door. About five seconds or so, he came through. He's like, oh, I said, well, no, nothing's happened. I said, hey, I'm not talking about what has or hasn't happened. Here's what I'm saying. Whatever you have going on with my wife, it ends now. This is now between us, between you and me. You are never to contact her in any way, shape, or form. This is now personal it's between us. Do you understand? I said, oh, okay, okay. I said, all right. Now, I did not go into there preparing and planning on a physical altercation. I'm thankful it didn't happen because I probably would have been pounded into applesauce. But I, 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 went, I went into that saying, if this goes to the nth degree, if this happens, I'm prepared to go there because I need to step in and protect. Fortunately, it didn't go there. But actually, that's another thing. What men do is they actually see the ultimate worst scenario and they swallow and say, if this is right, I'll take the ultimate worst scenario. And so I went in and did that. And that was when I got a piece of my manhood back, when I was actually a team with Libby and I actually was a protector with her. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's financial. But are you, can you point to people that you are protecting? Can you point to people who they are better off because you're on this planet? And if you can't, I don't care how high you are at the corporation, how much money you have, you are a boy. You are. You are called to come alongside and come underneath. And if it's all about you, that's what boys do, not men. And what men's do, men take minority positions. A man takes a minority position. Much of what I've said today is um, very unpopular. And I also realize much of what I'm saying today you haven't heard before because I'm taking a minority position right now. This is not the image of manhood that's given in Hollywood or the image of manhood that somebody else says should have. It's just not the image. But what a man does is he's not looking for where the masses go and what is going to be the easiest. A man takes his flag and says, here's where I plant my flag. I plant my flag right here. I stand right here. I don't know where the masses are going. I don't know what other people are doing. This is where I stand. See, boys, boys never want to be in the minority. Boys like don't go to a sleepover or to a weekend unless they know who's going. <laughs> they want to know, make sure there's enough cool kids going. Everyone, and then I'll go because they want to be in the majority. They don't want to say anything in class that makes them look stupid because then they'll be in the minority. They don't want to, uh, you know, they, they don't want to say anything that will rock the boat around the boardroom. They, they don't want that at all. But, but men are confident enough in their convictions and where God is putting them. And they say, I'll, I'll take a minority position. Norman Mailer says this. Masculinity is not something given to you, but something you gain and you gain it by winning small battles with honor. Small battles with honor. It's noticing that a habit is very close to becoming an addiction, and you take a minority position, and you choose to not have 
a beer, even though everybody else is, because you can see this is not going well for me and I need to stop. You take a minority position. It's, it's, it's when you see that your spending has gotten out of control. You're not getting any traction. You're not being able to do what needs to be done. You take a minority position and you don't do things that other guys who earn the money that you do are doing because you're doing something different. You're going a different way and you take a minority position. It means you stand in front of people and you say what you believe, what you're going to do, even though you know other people don't like it. And you're not trying to be offensive. Boys try to be offensive. You're not trying to be offensive. You're just stating where you are in your view of reality. You take a minority position. This is, you know, one of the really great things I've seen in my son. Without talking about all five of these with him, I've seen him take a minority position and protect women. You know, from junior high stories, I can tell. I, I I love that. It's it's the man gene that's put into us. And by the way, if you're not noticing by now, just about everything of these five things at least can be said about women. As I said, everyone's going to get something about this. But we need to understand this as men because there's too many of us that are not living the adventuresome full manly lives that God is calling us to. There is a different calling for you beyond the norm, beyond the boyish ways. There is a, there is a new place to go. There is a new place to be. Now, I'm going to invite out, uh, I'm gonna invite out uh, Robbie and the band. And we're going to do a song right now. And let me tell you a little bit about why we get a lot of criticism about not doing songs and as much songs as some churches do. Every church has different things that they do. And I assume if a church is doing something, they're doing what God uniquely wants that church to do. And I cheerlead that. I'm on a team with all different churches. And all teams are to be a bit different. So awesome that other churches do what they do. Great. One of the reasons, though, that we don't do what some places do of having 30 minutes of music every single week and you stand up and you sing for 30 minutes is because the average guy doesn't want to stand and sing for 30 minutes. It just doesn't, doesn't do much for the average guy. Um, it doesn't speak that, that language. However, singing is important and especially important for men who are going after God to put themselves in a place of humility on God's team where you sing to. You know, whoever you sing to, it's sort of a humble thing. <laughs> you know, if you ever got down on one knee and sang to a woman. You were putting yourself in a very humble, sensitive position. And this is what I do whenever I sing in an environment like this. I am slotting myself under God. I'm putting myself in a humble posture, interacting with, interacting. let me say something. Crap, I should have said this earlier. Biggest mistake I made today. Darn. I'll say this again in a minute. Biggest mistake I made today. Forgot to say this at the beginning. Ladies, uh, you need to be on a team as well. And if you came with your boyfriend or your husband and you've been elbowing them, shame on you. <laughs> I'm serious. Guys, I got your back on this. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. If you want to negate anything God is doing in your man's life, try to heap guilt on them or make them feel like they have to earn your approval. They don't. They don't. Um, I hope that you have not been doing that because he's probably not heard anything that's been said. You need to be a good team player and allow God to deal with him and allow him to receive this. I'm going to give you another pause of admonition as we uh, leave in a moment. So um, if your guy's Samson and he decides not to sing, let happy between him and God or him and me. 